0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday, the third of November, two thousand and thirteen. Here's Brother Stuart Harvey. I'm glad we could laugh a little uh, before we preach. I like to I like to have people laugh a little because then uh, then uh, it's not so bad when the pain comes in the preaching afterwards. <laughs> Amen. And I uh, appreciate your passage. You know, I was looking at the back of the uh, the bulletin here today and, and we were singing, uh, Great is thy faithfulness and how great thou art and great was on my mind. Says, a great God, a great church, a great day. And great does seem to be the theme uh, of today. It, it is a great day and this is a great church. You say, how do you know this is a great church? Because it's not about the building, it's about the people. But well, this church has been a great witness to the community, 82 years. That is a great statement in itself. But do you know what I think is even more great than that? You've had a pastor who stayed, stayed with you and stuck with the stuff for 23 years. I've only been in the ministry for five years, and I, I desire, if the Lord tarries, to emulate men of faithfulness who stay through good times, who stay through bad, who stay because they love the work to which the Lord has called them. You know, any joker can pick up their bag of sermons and go somewhere for three years and you think they're the best pastor in the world and then they leave after three years and go and preach the same three sermons somewhere else when they fine tune them and move on and move on and take career steps in the ministry. I'm not saying the Lord doesn't do that, but that doesn't impress me. God hasn't got to impress me. What impresses me is men who stay with the stuff. The blessings for those who stay with the stuff, amen. I admire and appreciate your faithfulness, Brother Larry, and I've heard your, your pastor preach before and he's very eloquent and he's very elegant and very grace-filled when he preaches. Uh, and I wish I could be. Um, for those of you that heard me in February, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a little bit blunt and I, I, I don't make any apologies for that. I'm a diamond in the rough. I hope the Lord changes that. I just want to say that to say this. If I do offend any of you this morning, it is not my intention. Um, if I seem a little blunt... Please, that's just the way I am. Uh, Get to know us when I preach. I do love you and I care for you and I care for this work. And, And if I preach anything that's in any way, and I hope I don't, Brother Larry, if I preach anything that's in any way different to that that you've been taught by your pastor, then you ignore what I say and go and see the pastor and find out why I said something wrong. All right, Because your pastor teaches you well from the Bible. But on this theme of uh, greatness, I want to preach about a great church this morning, God willing. I'll just take my uh, watch off a moment. That should fill you with hope. It means nothing to me. But I hope it gives you some hope. I will try not to labour the message this morning. I know we do want to eat. There's some great smelling food up there. But but I I really came up with this thought... um, about a great church, you know. For many years, a pastor who I do like to listen to, a long-standing preacher, preaches much about the the church in the Book of Acts uh, and how that can be a, a pattern for our churches. Of course, I know we don't necessarily take our doctrine from the Book of Acts; that's transitional. But uh, there is a great church in the Book of Acts, and that really sort of was jumping out. And that was the thought I wanted to come to this morning, because we should all want and desire to to be a great church. You know the problem that we've come to in this day and age, in this multimedia age, very often we can one click on the internet and we can see a you know church with pews filled and chairs filled and great singing, great preaching, great instruments and I've really enjoyed and appreciate the singing and Brother Steve playing his guitar for us this morning. But the danger is... For all of us, and we're all susceptible to this danger as we look out and see empty chairs. I've more empty chairs in, in the church that I pastor than I care to see. And that's, that's, that's a problem because souls aren't being saved. But here's why it's not a problem. That doesn't mean that a church isn't great. The Bible never talks about the size of a church being a great church, amen. It is all the Lord's church. And therefore, I want to preach from the book of Acts. If God uh, grants me the ability this morning and and the enablement, I want to preach about the marks of a great church from the book of Acts. I'm not going to preach anything new to you this morning. You're familiar with the book of Acts. And I'm just taking a look at that word, great. You know, great's banded around. There are so many great deals out there, aren't there? that turn out to be not great deals for us. There are so many people who say, this food is, is great and it isn't. Uh, There's so many people that say, oh, they're a great person, you're going to really love them, and you don't. The word is given out very often, but it doesn't always mean what it says. May I say to you this morning that I want to look at a great church. We should want to be a great church. Every single one of us, God has placed us into our own local church, and we should all want to be a great church. And I want to look at what God says when he says something is great In the book of Acts, Brother Larry, if you've already done your word studies and preached this message, then I'll do my best not to preach the same again. I hope God's given me something different. But it's on the thought of a great church, what God calls a great church that we want to look at this morning. Now, I'm going to be preaching from various texts in the book of Acts this morning. And if I can, I just want to set the scene a little. It's, uh, I'm sure, passages you're very familiar with, uh, really from Acts 3, 4, 5, and 8. We're going to do the whole book of Acts this morning, so bed yourself in for another couple of hours. But I really want to talk, uh, just set the scene from Acts chapter 3 before we pray and read the text that I want this morning, which talks about when Peter and John went up to the temple together. And you're familiar, they went up to the gate called Beautiful and they found that lame man who was a lame man from birth uh, lying there and uh, uh, f- fastened their eyes upon him and looking upon him. He was begging, he was asking alms of them, he wanted to receive something from Peter, of jo- uh, Peter and John. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him and said, silver and gold have I none. Now, that man must have been quite disappointed at that point. He was a beggar from birth. We we all see beggars. I'm sure you've still got them here in Birmingham as you walk around. People under the underpass. And they want one thing. They want some money. They want some sustenance. Silver and gold have I none. And that must have been quite a shock for him. But such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And at that point, they reach out, they lift the man and and strength immediately comes to his feet. They walk off and he's walking and leaping and kicking his heels and stepping all over the place. And you'll forgive me if I get a little bit excited when I preach today. I, I do get like that sometimes. And off they went and the people came in amazement and they gathered in Solomon's porch, the place where they were always together of one accord, which was a wonderful thing. And then Peter preaches, you know, the people come up in amazement and he preaches they must repent of their sins and they shouldn't have crucified Jesus Christ, repent and get saved and all the rest of it. Then the next thing you know, the, the temple guard and the Pharisees are coming and arresting Peter and John and they're telling them stop preaching in that name and they're whacking them around a bit and, you know, they're, they're, they're bothered because this man's been saved and made made whole again and, and he was in perfect soundness and then Peter fills with the Holy Ghost again and then he preaches to, uh, to the Sanhedrin and uh, whether we should listen to you or whether we should obey God and so he goes on and but in the name of Jesus Christ there's none other gain given unto heaven among uh, whereby we must be saved and so he goes on and this, this man is healed and whole and then they let them go they let Peter and John go and in Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 it says and being let go they went to their own company And their own company was their church in Jerusalem. Their own company was that body of believers at the church in Jerusalem. And it was a great church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, if I could just read you for a moment. And it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common. And we'll come to that in a moment. What I'm trying to say by way of introduction this morning is there was a great church in Jerusalem. But may I say to you today, I believe there's a great church here in Warden. I believe there's a great church. Gathered here this morning. And I want to examine some of the marks of what God has said is great in the book of Acts. And maybe if we can compare our lives as the church together here today with what God considers to be great, then maybe if we're going through some tough times, maybe if we're not seeing the fruit that we would want to see, maybe if we're not seeing the people saved that we want to see saved, maybe if we're not seeing the saved strengthened in the way that they want to be strengthened, maybe we can recognize what God says is great and we can be encouraged together and know that God is doing a great, work here at Bethel Free Baptist Church here at Ward End Road. The scripture I want to read from uh, this morning, which will be a text we'll just bounce from. It'll be a platform text. I'm not going to preach expository this morning. Um, Is Acts chapter 4, starting from verse 31, if you would, if you'd turn with me there. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. Please follow along with me as I read from God's Word. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of Consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's a wonderful summary of a great church that they got together and they got together to pray. They were together of one accord. We see that from Acts chapter one. And when they prayed, the place was shaken. God was stirring them up. They were shaken and stirred at the same time. They were strengthened and God was working amazingly and mightily through that church. And I want you to know today, church, that God is working amazingly and mightily through you. You say, how can you say that, brother? You see these empty chairs, but you know what I heard this morning? Here you sent out a man to mission. I hear you sent out a man from this church, a man on a mission, as a missionary, you have sent one of your own to reach a particular group of people, and I'm sure he'll reach out to anybody, but what a wonderful thing that is to hear. How encouraging that is to my heart. You should be so encouraged that you have been able to fulfill, not only indirectly, and I'm pleased that we share some of the same missionaries, that we support some of the same missionaries. I'm sure they think your church is a great church. Every Every month I'm sure they think that. But you know, you've sent out one of your own from this church in fulfilling that commission to, to 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 plant and send out missions. And that's a wonderful thing. You should be encouraged by that. Sometimes in our own churches we take things for granted that we know about, but I can't tell you, Brother Larry, how much that was an encouragement to my heart. And I pray that if the Lord tarries, we'll see a day from our church where we send out a young man or a young couple out onto the mission field to plant New Testament churches and reach the lost. should we take a minute to come before the Lord in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, our great and gracious and glorious God, we thank Thee for this amazing opportunity we have to gather together today, Lord. As we celebrate 82 years of this building being raised up to your glory, Father, through people faithful. I think probably if we look back in time, Lord, the same as as our own church building, there are, are people who gave gave more from less than we have, Father, to 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 build something to your glory. And I thank you, Father, for the longevity of this building, that it's still being used for your glory. It's still being used for the seeking and saving of lost souls and the preaching of your faithful word. God, now pray that until Jesus Christ tarries, you'll ensure that this building remains and these people are able to worship and meet together to your praise, glory and excellence. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the ministry of Pastor Curtis and his wife, Jane. God, Father, we, we often honor the pastor, Lord, and we forget about the wife. And, and God, I think everyone in ministry knows, Lord, what a great encouragement it has to have a blessed and grace-filled, spirit-filled wife, Father, and, and what a great uh, underlying invisible influence that is on the ministry of your church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a testimony of faithfulness. I thank you for these people, Lord, who've come out this morning, Father, to celebrate this day. I pray that they'll have a great day. They'll know that they're a great church. And, Father, you're still working mightily among them. And there are great things yet still to occur, Father. Help us, Lord, to increase our faith. Help me, Lord, with mine unbelief. Help Jesus Christ to increase, Lord, and for me to decrease. Heavenly Father, I pray you give me the words to speak this morning. Father, these faithful people have come out and I want to be an encouragement to them, Lord. Father, I pray you give me grace as I speak this morning. Heavenly Father, help me not to be overexcited. Help me not to be be hard, but to preach the words that you have given to me this morning. And Father, just to honor thy word, the Holy Bible, that Jesus Christ may be glorified and lifted high, that we may worship and bow down before him this day. We thank you in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, do you want your church to survive or do you want it to be great? You see, the problem we have in this day and age, the problem we have sometimes when we see empty chairs, and the problem, I'm sure you have the same as me, Brother Larry, as a pastor, when we get around other pastors or people who know us, how's your ministry doing? How's it going? Well, we're surviving. We're hanging in there. We're keeping the doors open. Now, what kind of talk is that? You know, we get weary in the flesh. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, doesn't it? But sometimes the truth of it is, we can become weary. The truth of it is, sometimes when we're a small body of people gathered together, we can get sick of seeing the same faces week in, week out, don't we? Sometimes we just want to see something different. We want to see the Lord at work. But, you know, we have to check that attitude. That's such a human attitude. We're not just keeping the doors open. That scripture up there this morning to Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're not keeping the doors open. The Lord Jesus Christ, if it be his church, is keeping the doors open. And I see from that church in the book of Acts, I see from Acts 2.42, it was a church that had great doctrine, that had great fellowship, that had great prayer. And you know, those are the marks for me of a good church. Those are the marks to me of a church that Jesus Christ is building. Great doctrine, great prayer and great fellowship. Now, from the days and times that we live in, and you'll forgive me for being a little critical, but it's so easy to think in this day and age that music is the mark of a great church. Oh, we had an hour of great worship. Really? Really, did we? I think the marks of a great church we need to find from Scripture. Scripture needs to inform our thinking and we need to conform our thinking to the words of Scripture. Any thinking that we have is okay. It's all right for us to think. But we have to understand where our opinions are influenced and informed outside of Scripture. Then we need to bring our minds and conform them to the truth of God's word before us this morning. The truth is the church at Jerusalem was a great church and it ought to continue to be a pattern for us as churches today. There are many things that we ought to model our churches on from the church at Jerusalem. And before we get to saying what God is great about the church and a great church this morning, let me say this, the first thing that's great is salvation. No one can have a great church without salvation. You can have a church filled with people. You could have a thousand people in a church and they can sing songs. But you know, if they weren't saved, it doesn't make it a great church. It may be a great performance, it may be a great social outing, it may do much social good, but unless it's filled with people who have not failed to neglect so great the salvation, then it's not a great church until it's filled with people who are saved. May I say, the Bible shows us nothing about a church with people who aren't saved, the church is the people. We're translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from Satan to the sun. We're from unsaved to saved. That makes it a great church alone, the fact that a people, even if there's only one person saved, then that makes it great. What value would we put on a soul? I hope you never put a price on a soul. But may I go so far as to say, and I've got a confession here, Brother Larry, and I just need to say this. I need to, need to inform you folks if you don't know already. Uh, after having a great uh, salvation, what we need to understand is we need to have a great Bible. And I am a self-confessed King James Bible nutcase. I haven't come to preach on that this morning. Brother Larry, don't panic. I'm not going to preach on that this morning. But I want to tell you that after a great salvation, we need a great book. God said that he's magnified his word above his name. And if we don't have God's Word before us this morning, then we don't have a great book before us this morning. Now I accept that some of you here today may not have come to the position of recognizing yet that the King James Bible is the Word of God in English. That's okay. You'll get there. Keep studying, catch up, pray about it. God will give you an illumination like He did me and I'm like a reformed smoker. Uh, did any of you in here, can I say, use the word smoking from this pulpit? Brother Larry, I hope I'm not being sacrilegious or anything. But is anybody in here a reformed smoker, used to smoke but no longer smokes? Amen. Are you tolerant of people who smoke around you? No, I bet you jump. It stinks, doesn't it? It's disgusting. It's a horrible. If you smoke in here today, quit. Those. Now, never mind a 12-step program. Never mind encouragement, never mind patches. The Apostle Paul said, those that stole, steal no more. Just stop doing it. It's a filthy, disgusting, money-wasting habit. That's the rant and the vent over. But let me say this. When you've been there and you get out of it, you realise how bad it was. And then you tend to go on about smoking. Well, I'm like that with the Bible. I was there and then realised through God's illumination how bad the corrupt versions are and therefore I'm a nutcase for the King James Bible. I'm going to try not to mention that too much today, but I just wanted to warn you in advance because sometimes it just pops out and I can't help myself. I don't want to cause any offence. You study it down, you'll get there. and I'm sure I'm not going against anything Brother Larry's preached, but if I am, I just wanted that confession out before we start this morning. So let's see what we see in this church. Firstly, it's a great church because in Acts chapter 4, in the passages we've just read, and if you just look at verse 33 for a moment, if you would, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We find that this was a great church because, first of all, they had great power. And their great power, you'll excuse me while I drink, Their great power had nothing to do with the power and charisma they had as men. Their great power had nothing to do with the numbers they had in church. Notice what it says with me. It was a great church because it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They received, they prayed and they received great power. Notice it doesn't say, first of all, they prayed and they received great fellowship. How many of us have got the impression that churches ought to be all about great fellowship? Now, please don't misunderstand me. Great fellowship is a wonderful thing. Great fellowship is something that I'm sure we all crave and desire. But great fellowship should be the product of a great church. Great fellowship should not be the aim. Of a great church. You say, why are you saying that? Because, Brother Larry, I don't know whether you've experienced this, but we're not a big body of believers down there, the Riverside Baptist Church in Exeter. And sometimes people come and they realize that they don't necessarily have the numbers around them of people to fellowship with. So it's got nothing to do with the doctrine, it's got nothing to do with Jesus Christ, it's got nothing to do with the fact we try and fulfil the Great Commission, support missionaries, plant New Testament churches, go on the streets, do the outreach, and all the things that I know you do here that to me make a great church. But they say, well, you know, there wasn't enough people there for us to fellowship with. Brothers and sisters, that doesn't make something a great church. You know, I I don't know about you, but I've got some unsaved friends still. I've got some unsaved people that I still communicate with. And uh, do you know what? I sometimes have great friendship with them. But that's not fellowship, is it? Because our fellowship is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this was a great church because it had great power. And the great power that it had upon them was in the public proclamation of the preaching of the Word of God. A great church is a church that has great power in public preaching of the Word of God. We need to be a church that looks at being great in those things. You see, Peter and John, the Bible tells us, were unlearned and ignorant men. But they turned the world upside down, didn't they? You see, the power doesn't come necessarily. I'm not against study, please don't misunderstand me. But the power doesn't come because we're studied men and women. The power comes because we pray down the power of God. A great church is a church that has the power of God. The Apostle John didn't rename himself the Right Reverend Dr. Boanerges, did he? James and John, the Sons of Thunder. If you're not reading your Bible, keep up with me here. Boanerges, the Sons of Thunder. He didn't rename himself so he could go on the TV and they could put a title up and say... This was a great church because the church at Jerusalem, one of the elders and pastors, was the right reverend Dr. Boanerges. No, that didn't make it great. What made it great is that after they prayed, they had great power in the witness of the resurrection of the Lord. Do you know the Bible says we're to determine to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Do you know, when you've been out there on the streets, and I an know brother, I know brother Steve here goes out on the streets, and some of you do too as well. And, and last week I had a wonderful conversation on Saturday on our, on our, our street outreach and preaching with two young people, a, a young couple, a man and a woman, and they were at the college, you know, and the usual thing all about evolution. You know, and how does this debate go? They ask a question, we answer a question. They ask another question, we answer a question. They raise an objection, we answer an objection. And on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Now, nothing wrong with answering people's questions. Please don't misunderstand me. But you know what the danger is? We've become such smart Christians today. We have so much access to so much material the danger is that we have forgotten. We think we're a great church because we've got all the, the creation's information. We think we're a great church because we've got Ray Comfort's way of the master thing. We think we're a great... Sorry to uh, any names. You know, if, if, if he's a heretic too, just wipe that one clean. But you know, we, we think we're a great church because we've got our chick tracks. Oh, you've got chick tracks. I love chick tracks. But we think we're a great church because of these things. But we're not. You see, a great church is a church that had the power of God in public proclamation. Uh, and we have to determine to know nothing among the lost of the world if we're a great church, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Did did Paul not say, For the preaching is the cross preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness? But to us, and to us who are saved, it's the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is what's going to reach these people around here. You live on a Muslim central, Muslim front. I grew up not two miles down the road from here. I, I I was born in Birmingham, bred in Birmingham, grew up in Birmingham, left Birmingham, can't get away, keep coming back it seems to Birmingham. you know. And, but I have seen... You know, this will come as a surprise to you, but I'm 49 years old. I I know, holding the shocks, holding the gaps. I know you all thought I was probably about 32 or something. But I'm 49 years of old. And I want to tell you, I've seen this place change. There used to be an LDV plant down the road that made minibuses that I'm driving to. It's leveled. It's not there anymore. What I'm saying is God doesn't change, but society does. But the nature of man doesn't. Now, Brother Steve and I were talking just before. I love, I love meeting and witnessing to Muslim people. We've not got so many of them down in the Southwest, but we have now got a mosque down in Exeter. So I know everything is going to change. Two years ago, it changed from being an Islamic centre to a mosque. Now, Exeter, any of you have ever visited it? It's the Southwest of England. It's classic Middle England. It's predominantly white European. And it's, but it's changing. Now, some of the folks who are down in Devon have no clue what's coming upon them. They've no clue. They're not getting ready. And the thing is, if we don't understand that the power of God is in the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the resurrection of the Lord, we give witness to a living, arisen, living, ascended Saviour. Uh, our dear friends, may I say to you this morning, if you're sitting here today, you say, what's the point of what's he talking about this morning? I'm saying, if the only thing you know Is Jesus Christ and him crucified and you can go and meet somebody, sit next to somebody in the church, knock on somebody's door and stand in the street and say, I want to tell you about a saviour that died for our sins, was crucified, buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Then can I tell you from the word of God, that makes a great church. You don't have to have a degree in creation science. Listen, remember that everything we have are tools and they are useful. But on the word of God, God says is a great church. A great church is a church that has great power in the public proclamation of a risen saviour. We need to remember that in this day and age, folks. I'm going to go quite fast this morning because I know we started late. But secondly, try and keep up if you can. Secondly, we see not only did it have great power, Look at the second half of verse 33, and it says, And great grace, great grace was upon them all. Do you know the problem with many of us when we've been saved a a little while? I mean, I've been saved 10 years, and I thank God this coming December. I thank God for it. I keep that day fresh in my mind, the 22nd of December, uh, uh, 2003. God was gracious, and he saved me, a sinner. Uh, and I was pleading for salvation. I knew I was a sinner. And the moment I was saved, I knew that I was different. But you know what we find sometimes as we go on and we get regular in our church attendance, we get regular in the things we do, we get regular in our outreach we start to forget about the grace of God. And we all know the definition, it's unmerited favour. You know, we are stinking sinners who deserve nothing from God except separation in eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. And God in his favour sent his son Jesus Christ uh, to die on the cross for us, to shed his precious blood and that precious blood saves us. We accept that transaction that he paid our price. We accept by faith and forgiveness our salvation. And then we start the Christian world Walk full of joy and hope and uh, and just full of the the joys of spring we 're knocking on doors we 're going like crazy we 're telling people and then after three months of people thinking we 're an idiot, we then start believing it a little bit, and we get a little sucky thumb in the corner because all of our family didn 't all get saved right off all of our friends didn 't all get saved right off. when I first got saved um, I, I was working in a prison i 'm still working in a prison but 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 sort of you know I was working in the place. I was working in the day before I was saved. And I was working in the same place the day after I was saved. Anybody else experienced that? Amen. Okay. So, So I'm excited. I got saved. So I went into work. And I'm just like telling people all about it all around me. I'm just, I don't know what, probably speaking gibberish like most of the time. But I was just excited. Well, my best friend... Now, this is a man, he and I, we used to train together. We practically lived in each other's houses, cycling, running, you name it. I mean, we were in each other's houses, left, right. He wasn't in that day, but he came in the day after, and we, I never saw him. And we met at lunchtime to go out for our run, as we did. And I sort of got the feeling that something was a little bit different. And maybe about five or ten minutes into the run, he sort of says to me, um, I heard a few people say that you're a Christian now. And I looked across at him and I could see he didn't believe it. It was almost like he was saying to me that question. You want to hear what people are lying about you. Where has this nonsense come from? That was the tone and the look on the face to which it was delivered. And I just looked across at him and went, that's right. He went, why? So I told him. He didn't get saved. What's more, I never saw anything of him for about the next six months after that. We have to be prepared to accept that God's grace upon our life is not necessarily always comfortable for those around it. We've got to get comfortable in our Christian skin because God's grace is great and it makes it a great church. Whether everyone we know and love believes it or whether they don't, it is still great grace. And the problem that we have is that we forget how great the grace of God is. My friends in the church this morning, may I I say to you, we'll do well to remind ourselves of where we were going without God's grace. We do well to remind ourselves how great his grace is because hell was our destination and only by his great grace are we saved. Remember what God's great grace saved us from. You see, when we're saved... We're placed into the body of Christ. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You see, you can force a union, can't you? We can, we can unite with anybody over anything. We can force a union, but we can't force unity. And the grace of God is something that brings unity to born-again, blood-bought Bible believers everywhere. And we have a great church because of the great grace of God which provides a unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now there may be some things we're going to disagree on and we may not choose to work with some others who are genuinely safe for various doctrinal reasons. But what I think is a wonderful thing and makes a great church When we can come and you can come and we can stand with our dear uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is a unity in Christ that evidences and demonstrates the grace of God. And upon the church in Jerusalem, it says great grace was upon them all. Nobody had a greater measure of grace than the others. Nobody had more than anybody else. And you'll forgive me looking up, but I just noticed that that clock stopped and I thought those minutes aren't moving very fast. So you may well have to have great grace upon me because I thought it was still 10 to 12, but it's not. So I'm going to plead for some grace. Let me move fast. Great grace. But look, what else do we see? Great power, great grace. Look at verse 34 and verse 35, still in chapter four. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many... As were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and bought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. A great church will find that the saints are generous people. The Western world, Western Christianity, i.e. us and the rest of Europe, have never had it so good. I'm talking about materially now. We have never had so much in the entire history of the Christian church. We have never had so much. And we see here, great generosity. That's a mark of what makes the church great, isn't it? We don't want to see our brothers and sisters in need. We don't want to see our missionaries in need. We want to be a people who are a generous people. But may I say this, the generosity of the saints in the first century church at Jerusalem was because of conviction, not because of compulsion. And that's so important that we recognise what marks out a great church is a church of saints who are generous because of conviction. It's one thing, and Brother Larry, I'm sure you find the same as me. It feels like week after week now, we need to stand in the pulpit and say, there's this need over here with our brothers down in South America. There's this need over here with our brothers over in Ireland. There's this need over here just up the road in Birmingham. And it's like every week there's a need. It's like every week we're putting before prayer. There is a physical need that can be met financially as well as by prayer. You see, because so many prayers remain unanswered today, I believe, because we just don't put our hands in our pockets sometimes. Now, I'm not trying to rebuke you. I'm trying to show you a passage here of the Scriptures. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of land. Now, we've got to understand doctrine is transitional. The kingdom was in mind. I understand that we come further late late into the passage in Paul where he speaks, he says, uh, charge them that are rich that they be not high-minded. I'm not saying to you, if you own a house, you've got to sell it and come and lay it at Brother Larry's feet. Although, Brother Larry, if you pay me, I'll preach that if you like. (laughs) But it is important, my friends, that we recognise how well off we are. It is important that we recognise the sacrifice of our dear brothers and sisters who have gone on to the mission field. It is important that a great church recognises the need that is out there and we walk sometimes out of services and I've done the same just as the pastor and you walk out and go, we just surely, we surely can't give any more and then we nip to the fish and chip shop and buy four fish and chip suppers. What's that cost these days? About £20, doesn't it? Now you multiply that through a church, everybody else has gone from church and done exactly the same thing and our dear brother's need was met with what we've just put in our belly. I'm just saying we need to think what is great in God's eyes. What is great in God's eyes is when he finds there is great generosity among the saints. And dear brothers and sisters, in this time the hour is late. The king's business requires haste. We're coming to the end of all things. We need not to be cleaving. for. We need to have an eye on tomorrow. We need to plan for tomorrow. But our dear friends, how many things do we need to put aside for tomorrow? How many Xboxes do kids need? How big does a television set need to be so that you can see it? I mean, you drive down the road these days and people have their curtains. When I grew up, nobody ever had curtains open. I come from that generation, to tore the curtains shut the world out. Nowadays, you can see into everybody, you walk down the street, you can see in everybody's front room, they've got the light on, if they're no shame, what's the matter with them? But you know, it's like they live in this grey light. It's like the world, after dusk, lives in this grey light. Everybody sits in the shadow of the idiot box that comes off the wall. It oversh- It's up, it's on the fireplace, and it looms down large upon them. Now, I'm not going to preach against television this morning. You, mate, you see, preacher, we're not to be the Holy Spirit. I determined through the Holy Spirit that we shouldn't watch television. okay? And we've done that and I've found that to be a blessing in our life. It's given me so much more time. It really has. But I'm not preaching, don't have a television, but I'm preaching this. A great church is generous. You say, well, the only thing I've got is my 50 inch television screen. What can I do for Brother Gareth when he goes out to the university? He's got a need. Sell your television. Get rid of it. You will find a blessing in that, uh, rest assured. But you know who, if you don't, you know who will? Your Brother Gareth. He'll have a blessing. I'm telling you, I heard Brother Larry say, you don't need to fill in a faith promise. I'm not preaching against what you said, brother. You don't need to fill in a, a, a faith promise. Mission Just bring the money in the envelope, Mark Gareth, and give it to your pastor, and he'll see that he gets it. And you'll get the blessing, and God will give the blessing on the chest. I'm telling you, sacrifice, fast, give up food for a day. We won't die. We won't die. I'm not, oh, it's like I'm preaching a faith promise. Mission promise. All I'm saying is, listen, let me get back to what I'm saying. A great church is a generous church. Church. I know clothes are made differently today and they've made them with very long pockets and as a result of evolution we've got very short arms and it's very difficult for us to lay hand on what's at the bottom of our pocket but with an effort we can get down there to what we're saving for a rainy day may I tell you it's raining today it was when I left this morning anyway praying God the sun's on the righteous you see the generous Church were cheerful givers. And I love this saying cheerful giving makes happy living. Hello? Is this on? Cheerful giving. Oh, I must be touching a hot spot here, brother. Cheerful giving makes happy living. Amen! Amen. Let me try that again. Cheerful giving makes happy living. Amen. Amen! That's right. And we want to be happy Christians, don't we? What have we done in the West? Man, I, sometimes you know what? Sometimes I can only speak for my church. Sometimes I stand outside. We have to go around and pick the kids up in that first, and you have all that here. But if I can get there, sometimes I watch the faces of people when they don't know I'm looking at them coming from the car park. And it's like they're going to a funeral. Now, that may be me, all right, and I accept that. But well, somewhere we've lost our joy, haven't we, as Christians? Mercy, I say, God's method for getting it back is for us to be generous givers because God loveth a cheerful giver, doesn't he? And if God loves us, we can't be anything but cheerful, cheerful people. A, a, a great church, and let me say this, it, it's not that we can meet every need. The poor we shall always have with us. We can't meet every need. But a great church, and I believe this is a great church. I see your missions board over there. It's a great church. Is a church that do all they can in the area of giving, And then trust God to do what we cannot. May I say a great church is a generous church? Turn back to Acts chapter 3 for our next point. I've only got another 12 points to do. Acts chapter 3, as we see, and verse 11, let me just read the one verse. And as the lame man, remember, he's sort of the substance of our text somewhere this morning. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. A great church is one whereby the people on the outside of the church have great wonder, and by that I mean amazement, at the change in the lives of the saved. That makes a great church. When those on the outside of our communities, what we see here, this man had been lame since birth. Peter looks at him, silver and gold, have I name. It says, I give you the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Puts out his hand, by the way. Gives him a hand. Gives him a hand. There's no works in that. He's just reaching out. And he says, stand up. And he says, the strength came to that man's ankles and his feet. And he stood up and walked. And everyone around them looked and saw a changed life. And they saw a changed life immediately before them. And we could go to the Gadarene demoniac, couldn't we? Demoniac, however you pronounce it. You know, he had seven in the money, crying and cutting himself out in the chains. And he meets Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ heals him, makes him whole, left him clothed and in his right mind. And, he, and he, he loved Jesus Christ so much when they're about to get in the boat and depart. He's trying to get in the boat and go with Jesus. As Christians, we ought to want to go where Jesus is going, by the way. We ought to want to do that. But that's not the message of the text this morning. But you know what the Lord said? He said, no, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. And he says, why? He said, I want you to go and tell everyone you know back in town what great things I've done for you. You see, a great church will demonstrate and cause great wonder to the world at large by changed lives. May I say in chapter 3 of Acts in verse 1 we see a great change? Says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple. That demonstrates a massive change in Peter's life, doesn't it? Before our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, resurrected, and walked among them for 40 days, what was Peter's life like? I'll go there, Lord. I'll kill him, Lord. I'll go to the cross. I won't deny you. I'm your man. Aye, 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 aye. Sounded just like Satan, didn't he? Aye, 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 aye. There was no togetherness with Peter. He was a rough, tough, me machine. Oh, I mean, I love Peter. I mean, he was on duty. He was in his place. Peter was a soldier in the Lord's army. Who's on duty this morning? Me, sir. Peter, sir. Correct, sir. All, oh, sir. I'm there, sir. And Jesus knew Peter would always be there. But the problem was Peter was working in his own power all the time. But look what we see in chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple. Do you understand Peter's life was changed? He recognized that he was so weak within himself. He'd learned that he needed the Lord. He'd learned to stop shouting his mouth off about what he was going to do and what he was able to do. There was a great change in Peter's life. There's a great change in the lame man's life. May I say to you, the church at Jerusalem was a life-changing church. May I ask you the question? If you're here this morning and I believe this is a great church, then this is a life changing church. Has your life changed? since you got saved. Don't you think that the community and the world that are unsaved out there have a right to expect a change in a saved person's life? We say we're translated from darkness to light. We're going to heaven instead of hell. We've got a great and glorious savior. We've got an eternal, bright future that looms out before us. Don't you think the unsaved have got a right to expect to see a change in men, yeah? I think they've got that right to expect it. That's what it says in the book. That's what we talk about. May I say this man's change was an instant change. There, yes, there's going to be progressive growth. I understand that, progressive sanctification and growth. But is there, there should be an instant change in our lives at salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17. Just turn there this morning. I know we're tight for time, but just turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 17, this really is a life verse, but 2 Corinthians 5:17 says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If any man is in Christ, he is. A new creature. My friends, this was a great church at Jerusalem because there was great amazement in lives that were changed. The people who were impacted by this church, added to this church, were saved and joined the church, immediately had lives changed. and was a great demonstration of the greatness of the local church with Jesus Christ working through it. May I say, this lame, this lame man, he would have been shortchanged if he'd been given silver or gold. That was what he wanted, but it wasn't what he needed. And he'd have, he'd have come up short if Peter had pulled a, a wedge of gold out and placed it before them. He'd have been short-changed. But when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Our strength doesn't come from us. Our strength in a great church comes from Jesus Christ and our great witness of him and the way he works through us. Uh, may I say, moving very, very quickly, uh, there was also great fear. We don't need to turn there this morning, but everybody's familiar with the, the passage in Acts chapter 5, where we've got a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. It's a, it's a well trodden path, it's a well-trodden story. And they owned a piece of land, they owned a piece of property, and they sold it, and they determined between them to keep some of it back. They could do what they like with it, but they determined to lie to the church leader, they determined to lie to their pastor, they determined to lie before God in the early church. And they came before him. And Ananias came up and he kept a certain portion back and Peter just looks at him and says why have you done this you're not lying to man you're lying to God and God killed him dead on the spot The young men rolled him up carried him outside and buried him and then he says his wife came in a little while later and she comes up rehearses the same well rehearsed lie Peter's having none of it, is inspired by the Holy Ghost you ever found that Brother Curtis you ever found that you always know when somebody's lying to you in your congregation if I could encourage it, don't lie to your pastor I hope you don't I hope you never do unfortunately right, some people have done it to me but you know what They look at you as if you believe them, and you just nod graciously, and inside you're just going, Man, you are lying. (laughs) And I hope God doesn't deal with you the same way He did with Ananias and Sapphira. Don't lie to your pastor. Bring the truth to your pastor. Whatever your situation, bring it to him. But his wife came in with the same trodden path and story, and she fell down straight away, boom, at his feet, dead, and they rolled her up and carried her out and buried her next to her husband. But in Acts chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, And great fear came upon all the church. And upon as many heard these things. It was a great church because there was great fear of God in the church and in the local community. Word went out about the power of God. You see, a great church is one that truly understands the teaching of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Now, do you know how many people, do you know sometimes how many churches, you start preaching about sin and you can see people sitting there, they're all uncomfortable and they're t- safe people professing to be saved, and you preach about sin, they're, oh no, not sin again. And they go, I can just 1 John one nine my sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I sinned 1 John one 1.9. We use it like a get out of jail free card in Monopoly. No. Listen, God's grace is God's grace. But what happened to the days when the church had a great fear of God and a fear of God's holiness and a fear of sin, not wanting to be a people of sin. Nowadays, you know, I see so many Christians, I see it in my own life, there's so many things that we're exposed to and we're not strong enough in asking God to save us from sin, and we're almost dropping onto the side of turning uh, liberty into license and just going to Arkham 1 John 1 Nine. it. God will fix it afterwards. Masadio, this was a great church because sin, sin was recognized. Sin was not acceptable. Sin bought a price. It bought the ultimate price, and great fear was on the church and on the community at large. May I say, the world needs to see our great fear of God because of sin in the world. The world needs to see us not joining in with everything that they join in with. The world needs to know that for Christians, there is a line. And I don't care if you're 18, and I don't care if you're 80. It doesn't matter to me whether it's bingo and a glass of whiskey at Christmas. The world needs to hear you say, no way. No way. And it doesn't matter whether you're 18 and it's somebody else's 18th birthday and they want you to go to the nightclub. They need to say, I- I'm happy for you, but I can't go there. Great fear. You see, it was a great church at Jerusalem because of great fear. And I believe this church here has longevity because it's had great fear of God over the years. I believe the Lord has left this building standing I believe the Lord has kept a faithful witness here because there's been a great fear and great preaching of sin that should not be found, that should not be leavened, found among us. Great fear. Moving on, great persecution. Acts chapter 1, we are coming to a close. Now this church was great and this church witnessed, this church saw great outreach, this church saw fear come upon the community, this church saw souls added and saved, this church saw great and amazing things and this set one called Saul in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 uh, 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 and Saul was there when, the, uh, when Stephen who had, who had done such wonderful things and preached so marvelously and revival had broken out, had been uh, brought before the Sanhedrin, brought before the council, brought before them all, and they were, took him out and threw him out and they were stoning him to death. And in Acts, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church. Great persecution against the church. Have you been persecuted this week? No. We're not under any persecution, are we? We're under ridicule. We're under rejection. We may be reviled. We may be the laughing stock. But as far as I'm aware, I'm not aware of a family in the Midlands or in Exeter that were dragged out and had their tongue nailed to a post. I'm not aware of anyone who had their children set on fire or run over by a steamroller. I'm not aware of anyone who had their wife shot and raped before them. So what is he talking about? Do you know that's going on in the world today? Do you know those things are happening to your Christian brothers and sisters today? Do you know what's happening to the churches? They're growing. They're growing. I don't want a great persecution to come upon us. I don't want a great persecution to come upon you. I'm happy we've got the freedom to preach. But may I say we're getting a little lethargic because we don't have a great fear of sin and we don't have a great persecution on us. We think we've got all the time in the world. And look what happened. God brought this upon them because it was a great church, but they weren't obedient in the area of spreading and sharing the gospel. They were staying together and God scattered them. Throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles, he left them there to run the church. And it talks about the devout men who carried Stephen to his burial. And as for Saul, it says in verse 3, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Do you know what I'm really glad about in this passage? Do you know why I think the church at Jerusalem was a great church? Saul knew which houses to go into to find the Christians. I wonder... I wonder today, I wonder today, and we've all heard the statement, you know, if it was illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? But I wonder today, if Saul was sent uh, to, to round up the people of the Riverside Baptist Church in Exeter, I wonder if we've made an impact enough on our community that he could walk into my road, at the start of my road, and say, where's the Christians? And all the neighbours in unison would go, number 32, Polesden Road, go get them, Saul. I fear that that wouldn't be the case. I fear that I'm not enough of a witness in my community. I fear that I'm too comfortable and I fear I'm not a visible enough witness to those who are close enough around me that if they were to come to look to wreak havoc in the church, then most of us would still get there the following Sunday because we hadn't been arrested. We're like the the special services, aren't we? I, I always call it the SBS. Now, where we are down in, uh, down in Exeter, we're not far from the Royal Marines training camp at Limpston. Any of your ex-Royal Marines, I appreciate, any ex-servicemen, appreciate your service for our country. And I'm glad we've got a day next week we can remember that. But the, everybody's heard of the SAS, but not many people have heard of the SBS, which are the special forces that are selected from the Marines. And that's the Special Boat Squadron. And the Special Boat Squadron are so trained in canoes and were so used during the war, they can canoe up, they can do all sorts of things and they can be out of there and nobody knows that they've been there. May I say to you, my fear is today that we're the SBS, we're the Special Baptist Squadron, that we can get in and we can get out and nobody knows that we've been there. We're not visible enough witnesses. We're becoming so like the world we're it. We don't want to be different. We don't even want to look and dress different on a Sunday. We don't want to carry a Bible out of our door anymore. We don't want people to know where we're going. We don't want them to confuse us with anything. We could be going to B&Q for all our neighbor knows we look just like everybody else. May I say great persecution changes that and I'm glad Saul knew where to go. For those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution it can be the mark of a great church you know if you're going through some things it doesn't necessarily mean just because a church where everything's going uh, zippity doo da zippity day my oh my what a wonderful day that that's a great church it could be really going through some things but may, may i just close with this point for all for all they went through they had great power in the preaching they had great witness there was great wonder and there was great fear And there was great persecution. But through it all, do you know what made this church great? The answer is in Acts chapter 8 and verse 8. It says, and there was great joy in that city. A great church is a church that in spite and despite everything the world does to it, despite the wiles and the fiery darts of Satan that come against it, despite the rejection of family and friends, despite the isolation, despite the separation, that they are a positive, happy people, despite the persecution. They are the marks of a healthy church. I love it, you know. I really love to see the marks and the signs of a healthy church. Do you know what they are? It's where people come early and it's where they stay late. Boy, do you know, it drives me round the bend when we're a healthy and happy church. Everybody comes early before I'm ready for them to come, and they won't go home until I start switching the lights out and trying to nudge them out the door and get the vacuum out and go round their feet. And you know, but I love it. But I love it. And I know that's what it's like here. It was like here in February when it went late at night and we're all at the back and we couldn't even go home and we were just sitting, chatting, and everybody's chatting and everybody's... Around. But that's the mark of a great church. Religion gets in, gets out. Holy Mary, do-da, do-da day. Get your grace and God, you know, done my bit, tick the box. No, no, no. These were being rounded up, thrown into prison, persecuted, tortured... Yet they were a joy-filled, joyful church because their joy was found in Jesus Christ and their fellowship was in Jesus Christ. Great joy. Now, you may say today, you know, that, that, that all sounds wonderful, but it just, it just, we're just a few. Now, I want you to understand, to me, this is a big church. This is like a mega church to me this morning. But do you understand in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, there were 120 people in that upper room praying. 120 people. And 3,000 were then added to the church. May I say what we find today is a church with 3,000 can't add 120 because a lot of it's done in men's strength. The mark of a great church is the church where God's at work and uh, 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 even a small company of believers take the time in prayer, which was where we started, to pray down the power of God for everything that's important to God and the things that God said was great. And may I say to you, if God says it's great, then you can take that to the bank. There is no small print in the deal. May God help each and every one of us to stay faithful, to stay with the stuff, to stay a great church until we become a spotless bride. I hope you know you're in a great church this morning because I know those marks are upon this church. Know that you're great, stay great. And if the Lord tarries, I hope I can come and preach on your 164th anniversary. I don't know, may that be for you, Brother Larry? 46 years. Amen. I hope the Lord keeps you a faithful, faithful people in the great church that you are. May God bless these thoughts to our heart this morning.